Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Good morning. Good to have everybody out today. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 to the end of the chapter. But we can move through pretty quickly today. It's a pretty straightforward, simple uh, text. Um, A brief, simple, but expressive eulogy was pronounced by Martin Luther in 1522 upon a pastor named Nicholas Hosman. This is what he said. What we preach, he lived. What we preach, he lived. What a testament. An unknown source said this, I would not give much for your Christianity unless it can be seen. Lamps do not talk, but they do shine. And of course, the passage that Eric just read for us, Matthew 5, 14 to 16, I believe, or 13. Um, but at the end of that passage, it says this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When Jesus Christ left this world, he left believers behind his church. And the believers are to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. As the moon does not generate its own light, but it reflects the light from the sun, God wants us to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. So I have four points today that I believe that the scriptures bear out in this text. Number one, the source of our light. The source of our light, as I just mentioned, is Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's not our own strength. It's not our efforts. It's through the power of God we reflect Christ. Number two, we are to be a light to the unsaved world. We are to be a testimony to shine in the world, again, that they may see our good works and they may say that Jesus Christ is real and trust in the Savior. Number three, we are to be a light and encouragement to each other, to other believers. It's very important. In John 13, verse 35, the Lord Jesus Christ said that people will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for each other, for one another. And then finally, our fourth point is this, which I think will kind of be a bit of relief for all of us. We're probably more like a 10-watt bulb than the moon. Meaning this, we mess up, we blow it, and God uses us despite ourselves. And we'll see that as well. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll consider this text. Father in heaven, thank you today that we can be here by your divine appointment. You are the creator of the universe. You are the sustainer of the universe. Every breath that we breathe is because of you. Every step that we walk is because of your grace. 
Your salvation was given to this world, Lord, over 2,000 years ago when you sent your son, the God-man, 100% God, the creator of the universe, the Bible tells us, Jesus Christ, but also 100% man who was born of a virgin woman who walked this earth with one primary purpose, to die on a cross for our sins. That we might have a relationship with you. We might have forgiveness of sin, that we might reign with you and live with you and worship you and abide with you forever and ever. We thank you for that. We thank you the salvation that is offered is not a salvation of works. We cannot procure salvation but it's a salvation that is a gift that is given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Father, today as we consider this passage of us being lights, speak to us. Apply this message. Help us understand. Hide me behind the cross. May Christ be lifted up today. We pray in his name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the source of our light is God. In verse 12, it says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Now, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's complimenting them. Hey, what I'm ready to tell you, you have obeyed always. Not as in my presence only. You've obeyed this in my presence, but much more in my absence. Remember, Paul's writing this from house arrest. So when I'm not around, I have heard you are obeying this. You're working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Well, the word there, work, is, is the idea of, is, to, is to work hard. But let, let me give you an example. Let's, let's look at like kind of a line going across, okay? And somewhere on that line, we got saved. That's our starting point of our Christian life. And God begins to do a work in our lives, and maybe we're here or we're here. And what he's doing is he's trying to get us to the end of this line, right? That's what he's doing. That's what the word work out. It means to work out. Work hard at getting to the point where God wants you to be, is the idea. Now, verse 13 is there to help us understand something. Again, what verse 12 doesn't mean, okay? Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Our salvation is a gift by God. You can't earn it. And we all know that. We have received Christ as our Savior. A gift. Our sanctification is also through God's power. In fact, in verse 13, it says, it's God who works in you. That word, by the way, in our English is where we get the word energy. It's energio in the Greek. God does the work in you, both to will. That means God gives you the desire and God gives you the ability to obey his commandments. So we don't do that. It's a work of God. In John chapter 15, I think it's about verse four or five. The Lord Jesus Christ said, without me, you can do nothing. You cannot progress in the Christian life apart from the power of God. The sun only reflects the moon. So the source of our life is God. But having said all that, and I've said this before, St. Augustine said, pray as if everything depends on God. 
and work as if everything depends on them. You see, God wants us to surrender our wills to him so he can work in us. But that doesn't mean we're kind of just uh, laid back about it then. Because then we have to work. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says to exercise yourself to, be God, to, to godliness. Godliness must be something that is, is worked at very hardly. The word exercise, where in that passage, 1 Timothy 4, 7, is where we get our Greek word for gymnasium or gymnastics. And if you ever see gymnasts, you can see that they do a lot of exercise. They're probably the most fit athletes in the world. You can make that argument. That's the word that's used. And so again, and I mentioned this before, we can't somehow think in our minds that we're going to be um, good at music and not work at it, or that we're going to be good at sports and not work at it, or that we're going to be good at our jobs, or we're going to be good at, 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 in college if we don't work at it. So then why do we think we're going to be good at being uh, godly or God's going to do a work in us, make us more like Christ if we're not working at it? And that's what this passage is telling us. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 6, because I want you to see there are some practical things. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. By the way, when it says fear and trembling, um, Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11, give us a relationship that God is our father and we're his children, and we like to do good things for our children, and how much more that God does God like to do good things for us? I think the relationship with us and God is a relationship of a son and a father or a daughter and a father, right? And so it's not a fear and trembling like we're terrified of God, but there's a reverence for God. And, and also in Romans chapter uh, 12, uh, verse 14, the Bible says we will stand before God and give an account. And so we are to live our Christian life. We are to pursue God with the idea that he is our father and someday we will stand and give an account. And that word in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, for account is the word logos, which means, a, means word. So it's a word for word account we'll give. Not condemned, but how we were faithful to God. So when we're talking about serving God, we serve God with that in mind. And that's where I think the fear and trembling comes in. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. I want to give you some practical things here. Again, pray as if everything depends on God, because it does. But work as if everything depends on you. In our pursuit of being more like Christ. In our pursuit of pro progressive sanctification. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Now, let me just stop there for a second. That is not talking about water baptism. In fact, the word baptism there is the, from the Greek word baptizo. It was transliterated. That means they did a word for word, or excuse me, a letter for letter translation. So it's not even giving you what the word really means. The word means to immerse or place into. That's the, the meaning in the Greek. Okay. Now, what is he saying here? Therefore, we were buried with him through, ba through baptism into death. We, when we trusted Christ as our Savior, you were placed into the death of Christ. What does that mean? Now look, look what it says. 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, this is what this verse means. You trusted Christ as your Savior. The old you died. The new you was raised up like Christ was raised up that same power, but were raised up spiritually in newness of life. We're to live a Christian life. That's why we believe, by the way, in baptism, the, the mode of baptism we do in a Baptist church. It's immersion. You're immersed into the water, and it's symbolic of what took place when you trusted Christ as Savior. Baptism has nothing to do with salvation. It shows what happened, what took place in our lives. Now, the Bible then tells us, so we establish that, that we're saved, we're saved, and we are saved and to walk in this newness of life. Now, there are practical steps because we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Look at verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, God's going to give us some practical advice on how to be godly. The word members there is a word, and you can see this in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, around verse 10 and following, all the way down. The word members means the members of your body, your fingers, your toes, your eyes, and your ears, most importantly. Okay? And God says this, do not voluntarily give your eyes and your ears over to what's unrighteousness. Why? Because it's bad for you. If you sit there all day and you watch TV for seven hours and you watch violent and, and vulgar shows, guess what's going to happen to your mind? I don't care how hard you pray. I don't care how much you beg God to change you. It's not going to happen. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that whom you present or voluntarily yourselves slaves to obey you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, and that's separation from God, or obedience leading to righteousness. In other words, if you give your eyes and your ears up voluntarily to things that are vile and evil, your mind will be a slave to those things. It'll affect you. And there are, you know, oh, where do I start? Just talk about commercials. Commercials are there. That little tidbit is there to influence you. It does influence. You say, I don't see it. Well, do you see grass growing? No. Does it grow? Yes. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't influence us. It does. And that's what the Bible says. Now look at verse 19. Skip down. I speak in human terms because of the, look at this, the weakness of your flesh. Every one of us has a sin nature inside of us. When we get saved, we have a new nature and the spirit of God in us. And there's a conflict. Now, what's this what he says? He's speaking to believers. I speak in human terms because of weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented or voluntarily gave over your members, your eyes and your ears specifically, as slaves of, of uncleanness and of lewdness leading to more lewdness, like a lascivious lifestyle is the idea. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. If you want to be holy, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to be more like Jesus Christ, you've got to fill your mind with good things. It's just that simple. You've got to exercise yourself 
with godliness. And I'm going to give you a bad word in our society and in the church. You have to discipline yourself. Okay? You have to be disciplined. You have to discipline yourself to read God's word. You have to discipline yourself to pray. You have to discipline yourself to read Christian books. You have to discipline yourself to say, no, I'm not going to look at that or listen to that. And that's how godliness is produced. And so when God says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that's what he means. But it's hard work. Now, so he is the source of our light. Again, work as if everything depends on God because it, it does. Or praise if everything depends on God because it does. But work as if everything depends on you. Now, coming back to Philippians chapter 2. That's, that's our long point for today. Don't think all the points are like that. Second point, Philippians chapter 2, we see here as we pick up, we're to be a light to the unsaved. And I think in this context, it's harmony in the church. Remember we talked about last week, we looked at something else. But if we go back to two weeks ago, all the way from chapter 1, verse 27, God wants a unity in the church, that there's a oneness in there. Jesus Christ in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, is our example of how we get unity in the church. It's a humble mind. And a humble mind, again, is not a mind that says, I don't think highly of myself. That's a self-esteem issue. That's a problem. A humble mind is, I don't think of myself at all. A humble mind says, I am thinking of God's glory, and I'm thinking of others. And that's the mind Jesus Christ had, right? So Paul's picking up on this again, I think, in verse 14. When he says this, do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things without complaining or disputing. The word complaining is the, the word that we use for cooing of the doves. You ever hear dove coo? That's the word. It's like a murmuring. So there's kind of can be like in the, in the church of Philippi. Again, we can point to Philippians 2, or excuse me, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, when two prominent women are mentioned that are having a problem with each other, a division, and it's causing a division in the church, enough where there's a cooing going on, there's murmuring going in the church. And then he says this, there's a cooing, and then without complaining and disputing. The problem here of the cooing is that's kind of like a private thing, but it leads to, it leads to this, this, this disputing, which is like an open debate and, and rift that goes in the church. And Paul is saying, make sure things aren't done that way because it's going to cause some division in the church, which God doesn't want. Because God desires unity amongst believers. Unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean we all have to believe exactly the same way. It means we are united to say we're going to glorify Jesus Christ and put aside my personal um, agenda. Now, a light to the unsaved world. Look what he says here in verse 15. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among you, excuse me, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's where we get our point. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and saying, make sure there's this unity because you need to be a light to the world. Now. In verse 15, he says that you may become blameless and harmless. Notice they weren't there. There were some problems. It was a good church, the church of Philippi. They were a good church. They weren't a perfect church. 
And there isn't a perfect church, is there? They were blameless. That you may become blameless. That word blameless, if you ever go in Ireland, we had, it, I, so I always get these things mixed up. It was uh, TK Maxx, I think. And uh, you have something else here, TJ Maxx, maybe it is. Anyway, if you go in there and you go on a table and there's a pair of trousers um, and uh, you look at those trousers and, and there could be a little stitch out. And because of that, you get 50% off. I'm like, cool, I'll take it. 50% off, all right, I don't care, it's a stitch out. That's what that word means. It's just a little bit off, right? And then um, it also talks about being harmless. Now, harmless is uh, literally means like unmixed. And so when you get silver, I went over to London one time and I bought seven bars of silver, uh, one kilo blocks. And, uh, and on the back, it says 0.9999% pure. Well, there's a process to make the pure. And that's the idea there. So God wants us to be pure and, and, and genuine, and he has to do the work, okay? Now, he talks about stronger words of who they live amongst the world, right? He calls the world a crooked and perverse generation. That word crooked, if you go to, um, to the uh, lumber yard, sorry, if I'm using wrong terms, I don't know how we say timber, lumber, whatever. Anyway, there's, we call, you, you grab a four by two, okay? And if you grab the four by two and you look down and you see sometimes it's warped and you toss it aside and say, I can't use it. That's that word. You see, the world is warped. Warped in their, their mindset of Christ and warped in the way that they live their lives compared to what the scripture says, right? And then he says, not only warped, right? But he also calls them perverse and perverse is take that same piece of timber and you get those knots on it and there's notches and a you know, piece of a corner is cut off and, and you're like, I'm not using that piece. That's the idea. So the idea again is for us to live a life of being uh, pure and live a life that we're trying to be as best we can a light to the world. And I always said this, we're not sinless, but we're serious. We're serious about serving God. Because even when we mess up, we make sure we apologize and say, I messed up there, to be a light to the world. Now, in verse 16, he continues and said, holding fast the word of life. The word holding fast means to reach out. So it's almost like you're reaching out with the Bible. And, and probably as the idea is, I want you to share the gospel. So the idea here is to be a light so that when you share the gospel, People can see your life and say, well, that's consistent with what they're saying. And so a light to the unsaved world. And then Paul says, holding fast the word of life in verse 16, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That means when Jesus Christ comes down, Jesus Christ is coming back. The first thing will happen is the rapture of the church. And then seven years later, he'll come back to set foot on the earth. So when Paul is saying that the day of Christ, it's the return of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. In other words, I want you to, to, to remember another, the, the line there, I want you to reach the goal that God wants you to reach. That's my, that's my desire for you. And Paul communicates that. Now, number three, a light to believers. And we can move through this pretty quickly. A light to believers. Let's look at this. Look at verse 17. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ said that people will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another, for one another. 
It's very important for us to minister to each other. I had a guy one time at my church said, as, as a um, um, criticism in church in Ireland, said, you know, your church is kind of like, how do I explain it? It's like a family in here. And that's wrong. Like you need to, um, I don't know what he said. And I just said, well, that's a compliment. I'm sorry. I take that as a compliment because that's what I think church should be, like a family. And we should be a light to each other. Now, in verse 17, he says this, yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, Paul was an encouragement to the church at Philippi. Remember, the church at Philippi was sending Epaphrodites to Paul from the city of Philippi, okay, in Macedonia, over a thousand miles away, and Paul was in Rome. And they're sending Epaphrodites to give him a few bucks, right? He had a gift, a little bit of money, and to get an update. And when they get the update from Paul, because, I, you know, he's in prison, and he went through all this hardship, you know, on the boat, and, you know, floating around a boat, and shipwreck, and starving, and almost died, and all those things. And they hear this, and they're like, what's the story? So they send him there, right? And Paul says, I'm all right. The things that have happened to me have happened to the furtherance of the gospel. Why did Paul say that? Because he didn't want them to worry. I'm good. I'm good. And he says that here again in verse 17. If I am being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, I don't think I'm going to be executed, but I could be wrong. Because I'm human. And I could be missing what God's telling me. So if I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering... And a sacrifice, excuse on the sacrifice and service of your faith. So, so anyway, in the Old Testament, you'd have a, 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 a sacrifice. You'd say you had a lamb on the altar, and then you might get like oil and pour it on there, olive oil. And that's the drink offering. And Paul's saying, if I'm the drink offering, okay, you guys are the sacrifice. You're more important. But in other words, if I'm going to die, if God's going to allow me to die, I'm going to be that drink offering. So he's saying. And he says at the end, I am glad and rejoice with you all. That's okay. Listen, if I die, I'll be with Jesus Christ. I don't want you to worry about me. And then he says this in verse 18, I think, again, to be an encouragement to them and be a, a light to them in, in a sense. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. I want you to rejoice. I don't want you to be sad. So Paul was trying to be an encouragement to them and a light to them. Now. We also see here that in verses 17, or excuse me, verses uh, 20 and 21, we get some insight as well. In verse 20, it says this. I think that we can, simply, we can safely say that Timothy, one of Paul's companions who traveled with him on his missionary journeys, Timothy was a light or an encouragement to Paul. Look at verse 20. He says this. For I have no one like-minded who sincerely cared for your state. He knew Timothy loved the church at Philippi. That meant a lot to Paul. For all seek their own and not the things which are of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Timothy treated Paul with the same respect a son would treat a father. And so Timothy was an encouragement to Paul. Paul was an encouragement to the church of Philippi, as we saw. 
And Timothy was also a, an encouragement to the church of Philippi. Because look at verse 22. But you know his proven character. That is a son with his father. He served me with the gospel. They knew him. They knew his character. That's why Paul was sending him. Paul wasn't going to send anyone. He was going to send his best man. So Timothy was going to be, it was a light and was going to be a light and encouragement. So again, this point is that we're being encouragement to each other. Look at verse 24 with Epaphroditus. Or verse, uh, verse 24, he says that, or verse 25. Yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Epaphrodites was a light and a great encouragement to Paul because he traveled over a thousand miles just to give him a gift and see how he's doing. Can you imagine how Paul felt when he saw him? You see, it's very important to God that we're an encouragement and we're loving and gracious to one another. And he was. He was. He was an encouragement. He also was an encouragement in the church of Philippi. Look at this selflessness. Talk about humility. Since he was longing for you all, verse 26, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Almost under death. He nearly died because he ministered to Paul. Because he was so selfless and wasn't thinking of himself and was thinking about Paul and Christ, he nearly died. Now, I don't suggest that, but it shows you his love, right? But here's his love to the church at Philippi. Don't tell them. I don't want them to be burdened. I don't want them to worry. That's his encouragement to the church at Philippi. So you see this loving relationship with Paul and Timothy and Epaphrodites and the church. And that's how God wants his church to function. And now we come to our final point. We are more like a 10-watt light bulb than the moon. And I use that word, 10-watt light bulb, because when we went to Ireland, when we first went there, we had to rent out a club called the Prison Officers Club because no one else would rent to us. Um, it, was, it, was, it was just a situation where we weren't welcomed. Let's just put it that way. The prison officers were a group of people that didn't care what anybody thought. So they said, I wouldn't care if people think about us, we'll rent to them. So they did. And we used to go every morning on Sunday mornings and they would, you know, the prison officers were a rough group of guys and, and they had, you know, bars in there and, and alcohol and every morning we went in there and it's, it stunk like stale beer, to be quite honest with you. But that's, you know, we had room and that's where we started our first church. And in that room, and the place was freezing cold, like every building in Ireland seems like. And a cold that I can't describe. But anyway, I think that's why I'm like this now. But anyway, um, we used to have this fluorescent bulb, okay? That's, that was the bulb they had. And it was, I think fluorescent bulbs are kind of like dependent on heat. So the colder, the, the less they light. And we used to flip that thing on, and it was like a 10-watt bulb. And we had this running joke and say, all right, everybody cover their eyes. And we, you know, put it on, and, and there's the bulb that comes in. And sometimes I think we're more like that than we are the moon, if we're going to be honest. I was visiting a, a former INLA member in prison. I had a prison ministry until I got kicked out. Weren't welcome there either in the prison. 
But I was I was visiting a former INLA member, which is a terrorist group, was a break off of the IRA. And as I would visit him and have Bible studies with him, and I had Bible studies with other people, and, and that's why I eventually got kicked out. But anyway, as I was visiting him, sometimes they would ask him, you know, can you bring this? Can you? And one time I brought something, and another time I came in, I said, listen, I'm not comfortable bringing that. I think it's against regulations. And he's like, well, how come you bring this, but you don't bring this? And I said, listen, Michael, you want to find inconsistencies in me? You're not going to have to look hard. I said, I don't know. I don't always know where to draw the line. I'm doing the best I can. And I think that's God understands. That's we're flesh and blood. And we do the best we can with what we have through the spirit of God. But sometimes we fail. And I look at this passage, like, for example, look at verse 15, chapter 2. Where am I getting this first, this fourth point up? That you may become blameless and harmless. Now, note that they weren't blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault. In other words, that you're not the stumbling block. Sometimes we can be the stumbling block. And at those times we repent. Sometimes in Ireland, I was a stumbling block. Particularly when it came to sports. And what do you do? You're blameless. You become that. So we shine as lights despite that. All we can do is apologize, confess our sins, and ask God to help us to get back up. We can't dwell on it. But they weren't blameless and harmless, and yet they were still being alive. In verse 17, Paul says, yes, if I'm, if, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering, if I die, he goes back and forth. In chapter one, he says, I'm not sure. Am I going to die? Am I not going to die? I'm not sure what I want. Do I want to be with Christ or do I want to be here to minister to you? And then he says, no, I'm convinced I'm going to be here for you. And then he comes back here and he says, I'm not sure. Right? Not sure. If he wasn't perfect, none of us were. None of us are. In verse 27, he speaks here and says, again, um, for indeed he was almost, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. What's he talking about? Well, Verse 28 might give us some insight. Therefore, speaking of Epaphrodites, I send him the more eagerly, eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. In other words, when Epaphrodites goes to you, I will be less sorrowful because he'll be with you and I'm happy with that he's with you. But notice he doesn't say, I won't be sorrowful at all, but I will be less sorrowful. As much as we talk about Paul's faith and he's rough and rugged and in prison and he's singing praises to God, he did not want to be there. He did not want to be there. And he was sorrowful because of his circumstances. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, I think a good way that Paul sums it up. And he said, sorrowful, but rejoicing. Hardship, difficulties, want to be out of my circumstances, but yet clinging to Christ and rejoicing. There's no one that's saying that even though my circumstances are horrible, it's perfectly great. 
I think deep inside, there might be a moment, but deep inside, we want circumstances to change. David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery and murder to one of his 30 mighty men. A good man, by the way. The apostles, when Jesus Christ was at his greatest need, all of them forsook him. The apostle Paul had a falling out with Barnabas over John Mark, and I think that he would kind of concede that he was all he was wrong. Peter had to be withstood to the face by Paul because of his hypocrisy. Judea and Sintica were women that were godly women, and yet they were calling, causing a rift in the church, and it was no small thing. And so we are more like a 10-watt light bulb than we are the moon. And I think that the fact that God uses us despite that should lift him up more and more because he uses us despite our disobedience. God hates sin. Note that. God hates sin. Think about eternity. That's how much he hates it. But he is loving and gracious. But his love and graciousness, let it not somehow make us think, downplay how much God hates sin. Because he hates it. Now, verses 29 to 30, I'm going to shift here and then we're going to move into the Lord's Supper. What I want to say in verse 29, it says this. Speaking of Epaphroditus. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he claimed close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Paul says, esteem this man. Because of the service we God. We have a very special day today as we look at Rich and Linda who have served here for 40 years. 40 years. I was in Ireland 19 years. And I was busted up emotionally when I left there. I have to tell you, I couldn't talk about Ireland from a pulpit for three months when I left. Because I was afraid I was gonna fall my eyes out. 40 years they have served. And today we have just a small token, and really you have it, because I'm the new guy here. Many of you have known them for years. A, stall, a small token of appreciation for their service. And I don't know that Rich and Linda came close to death, but I know this, when you're involved with ministry for a number of years, you have scars. You have scars and hardship. Many deep hurts that have happened. Decisions that had to be made that are difficult. And I just want to say, in putting my own two cents in here, it is appropriate. It is appropriate to esteem them today. Is it, appro it is appropriate to share what they have meant to you and the church today. I believe it brings glory to God. 
Now, as we go to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're transitioning now into the Lord's Supper. But I want to just go with, the, with that, that word esteem that it talks about with Epaphrodites. I thought it was very interesting. What does that word mean? Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says this. Coming to him, that's Lord Jesus Christ, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men. Christ was rejected. He came to his own, his own received him not. But chosen by God, approved by God, and precious. That's the same word. That's the same word with the Epaphrodites. Precious means it is a great value. Epaphrodites was to be held up because he was very valuable. And I think it's appropriate, again, with Rich and Linda today. But of course, all of us understand the Lord Jesus Christ is put on a whole different realm of value and preciousness. To us, he is precious because Jesus Christ saved us and changed our lives. If it wasn't for Christ in our lives, where would we be today? Disaster. Disaster. So he's precious. He's rejected by many. In verse 8 of 1 Peter 2, it says, A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word. Stone of stumbling. Offensive to people. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way to be right with God, to have your sins forgiven, and have home in heaven, the only way is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Put your trust in him. And to us, because of that, he is precious. But to the world, when you say that, it's offensive. It's an offense. It's the offense of the cross. And so we come today to the Lord's Supper. And by the way, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you know your sins are forgiven, and you're on your way to heaven, and you want to participate in the Lord's Supper, and you don't have this little packet, this little wafer here, and juice, if you don't have that, raise your hand so the ushers can... We have Myrtle down here in the front, guys. Um, so the ushers... A couple there uh, in the middle and in the back as well. So we have about four of them right in the back. Keep your hands up, guys. Here we go. Yep. And then there's three there. Appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, now I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 26. And we'll, we'll, now we're ready to, to engage and participate in the Lord's Supper. And let me just... Um, let me tell you how, how I'm going to do this, because I, I messed up last week, or last time. So, in fact, I didn't even bring this up with me, so, so sorry. But I want to make sure I communicate this correctly. So what, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of prayer yourself, okay? You're going to sit in your pew, and you're going to communicate with God. You're going to make sure there isn't any sin in your life that's in, in way with God right now, right? Because the Lord's Supper is having an intimate fellowship with God. So what the Bible teaches is that when you trust Christ your Savior, you're saved. You're a child of God. You can never lose that. 
just like when you're born, you're born, your father's your, your father, and there's no, you can't change that, okay? The only thing you can change is your relationship. So if we sin, then our relationship is seven. Now, if there's sin in your heart, there's sin in your life, and you know it today, then take that time and confess that to God. Because you don't want to participate in the Lord's Supper unless you make sure your heart is right in unity with God as far as you, you know. And, and the Holy Spirit will show you if there's something. So take a moment um, before we have the Lord's Supper, and I'm just giving instructions now so we understand what we're doing. So take a moment, in a, moment, in, in a minute, we're going to take a moment, we're going to pray, you're going to reflect upon what Christ did on the cross, he died for our sins, his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, and although this is not literally the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, it represents him in a real way, okay? Now, so we're going to take a moment and we're going to do that. And then I'm going to read a scripture about his body, his body being broken, okay, for us. And we're going to open this up and we're going to take the wafer and together we're going to eat, okay, what represents the body of Christ. And then I'm going to read about the blood being shed and then together we're going to drink the juice together, okay? So let's take a moment and let's reflect upon um, the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Matthew 26, verse 26, at the Last Supper, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. Verse 27, then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his body being brutally broken and beaten up for our sins, for my sin. And each person can say, for my sin. Thank you for his blood. The same human blood that goes through our veins is the same human blood that went through the veins of Jesus Christ. And that blood was shed for the remission or covering of my sins, for our sins individually. And we thank you for this. And Father, help us to live a life through your power that is pleasing to you that we might shine in a needy world. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. 
please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support, and we hope you have a God-blessed day.